BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive! Well, we just had so much fun the first time that we did this that we have to do another one. We're doing the 2020 draft. We're redrafting it here on the call up. I'm RM Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And Jack, we put even more prep into this one because this one's way harder, right? We, we redrafted 2019 before, which gives us an extra year to be able to sort out the careers of these guys. Whereas this 2020 class, you got some big leaguers, you got some guys that are close to the big leagues, and then you got some guys that are still in the lower levels of the minor leagues because they were extremely young when they were drafted. And we got to decide where we're going to take each of these guys against each other. I am ready to have a headache, but this is going to be a lot of fun. Do you know why I hate you and love you at the same time? Well, there's a lot of reasons for the hate, but let's hear. I've never even thought about being trash talked about something as simple and meaningless as an MLB redraft. But here you are saying your picks are going to suck. LOL via text. You're I've been such a dork. I've been shit talking to you since last night. Um, it's unbelievable. I'm like getting texts out of nowhere. Like your draft is going to suck, bro. LMAO. <laughs> I'm like, this is so stupid, but I'm really excited to do it because it's fun. Oh, no, I, I am excited. And it's funny because, look, we, we have an idea of of each other's perspective on most of these guys. We collaborate on most of these top prospect lists. We're always going back and forth. I'm pinging you during the season. How did this guy look, as you call him, in AAA, as you call a game, a starter or not bat or whatever? And, you know, you're always messaging me, oh, do you have more on this guy? And that's why we always have a good idea of of where each other stands. So 
The fun part of this, though, is we go into it blind. And while I do have a decent idea of who I think you're higher on than maybe me or just higher on in this whole draft class, I don't know what you're going to do. You don't know what I'm going to do. We have a vague idea. We also put eight names aside that we think the other is going to take ahead of us because we're going interchanging one pick each. I'm going with pick number one and you're going to two. And I'm curious to see what eight names you feel like I'm going to take before you even have a chance to take and and vice versa. So it should be pretty fun. We're going to break this into two episodes because we've just been going long with the off season content. So if it's on YouTube, you'll be watching it in one episode. If it's on, if you're listening on the podcast form, it's going to be two. But by the time you're listening to the, to the first episode, the second one's probably out. We're going to put it out probably several hours behind it, Uh, but just makes more sense on the audio side to split it up into two. So We'll go with the 15 picks here. I'm number one this time since you were the first pick last time. And a reminder, if you're just stumbling upon us with this, go check out our 2019 redraft where we had a lot of fun with that. So number one pick here. And and also one last thing I want to highlight, Jack, before we start. This is a draft of of really just a lot of unknown, right? I think Ryan Miller mentioned this, one of our guys at Just Baseball. He said the, the draft of the unknown, which because of COVID, shortened college season, a lot of high schools didn't play. You know, we didn't have the summer circuit the way we usually have it. Like there was a lot of things that were impeded, right? So there was a lot of opportunity to have some crazy steals in this draft and some crazy flubs. So that's what makes it really fun, too is that this was a draft of unknown and redrafting it is going to be as different as any of the redrafts you normally see, which are generally much different anyways. Yes, 100%. I mean, this was entirely unknown. And I think that this was the biggest crapshoot that we've seen across any professional sport in history, right? Um, you know, football, the college football season was not altered whatsoever by COVID. The college basketball season, the only thing you were missing from that oh, ahead of the NBA draft was the NCAA tournament. And which yes, might have been a favor, some, which may have been a favor with the way favor. that they overrate some of the guys on their ma- a couple games in March Madness. Yeah, like it actually probably goes more chalk with no NCAA tournament than otherwise. Like I, you know, you and I both went to Syracuse. We got there fall of 2016, spring of 2016. We watched Malachi Richardson go from probably coming back as a sophomore to first round pick. And now Malachi is out of the NBA. So, yeah, like that might have actually done them a favor with baseball. These guys played like 12 games. Starters might have started like three games. I think Jack Leiter started four games at Vandy his sophomore year in 2020. So, I mean. There was so much unknown with these guys and you had to base it off of, you know, their previous year's work. Um, Really, the only full sample that, you know, you got about these college guys was the Cape season in 2019. And you're about a year removed from that when you're picking. So extremely tough, which is why the first pick for me. And remember, this was formerly Spencer Torkelson. Um, he's not going to be the first pick here, and it's not a bash on Torkelson. I still believe in him. I still think he's going to be great, but not 1-1 one, one here. The number one pick is a guy that was picked way later. I believe it was 126th overall in the fourth round. It's Spencer Strider, right-handed pitcher with the Atlanta Braves. And look, this guy already got a pre-arb deal <laughs> basically before he even finished his rookie season. Um, He's already looking like one of the top 20 arms in the game. And, and I think that's even a little bit conservative. He has dealt with a little bit of an injury at the end of the year a lot, but not too worried about that. I'd say the only question we really have about Strider is, can he ramp up to 175, 180 innings? Because we've never really seen him do that at any level. 
that's not really that big of a question, especially in today's game. If he's going 150, 160 innings and, and they even keep him a bit shorter, he's still one of the most dominant arms in the game. We saw him strike out 16. Uh, you know, we saw him strike out double digits in so many different occasions. The fastball is electric. The, the slider is disgusting. This guy is is a top 20 pitcher. And if I can get a guaranteed top 20 pitcher who's already shown it at the big league level, that's got to be the pick one one. Yes. Um, you asked me, do you know who the number one overall pick is? And I was like, yeah, I do. Um, he is the only established big leaguer on this list. The only one. 2019, there are several others. Yeah. I would say Reed Detmers encroaches Detmers, on, you know, you on, could also, on the precipice of established big leaguer after yeah. what he did last year. You know, you could also, I guess, say Crochet because he kind of has like a year and a half there, but he's a bullpen guy now. Yeah. So I, I'd say Strider and Detmers, but Strider was obviously Spencer freaking Strider. He was top 10 in Cy Young voting. He was second in Rookie of the Year voting. So, yeah, I mean, Strider was the clear-cut 1-1. One, one. Number two, I'm going with the number five prospect in baseball, according to you at JustBaseball.com, and that's Jordan Walker. Yeah. Um, I have to go with Walker, right? Like, this guy has prodigious power out the ass. The original pick was Heston Kerstad to Baltimore and Kerstad could absolutely still be a first round pick in this because Mm -hmm. when he did come back from complications from myocarditis, he was really good at the lower levels. We just have yet to see him at the higher levels. Walker originally went 21st. All this guy has done is look like a college bat when he was taken out of high school. Like he looked like he was a three-year guy at Duke taken in the first round as soon as he jumped into pro ball in 2021. This guy has 40, 45, hell, 50 homer potential at the very top of like the outcomes. He can, I kind of play third. He's working on the corner outfield spots. He will find a spot because the bat is best power bat in baseball caliber. And and the athleticism too, right? Like you talked about working on third. I don't I don't know if he'll ever be a elite defender there. And I know he can't play there because he is getting there so quickly that Nolan Arenado is still going to be anchoring the hot corner there. But in a world where there is no Nolan Arenado, I think Jordan Walker is more than good enough at third base. Like he's an athlete. He's got a ridiculous arm. He's working on his reads and routes in the outfield, but he, he can run, man. You look at the stolen bases, being able to go see him in the Arizona Fall League, I was forward at how athletic he is. You can yeah. see how, how athletic he is as a hitter, but seeing how well he runs was was really remarkable as well. I think he's going to grow into a really good outfielder. He's got a plus-plus arm uh, in that right field spot. He could be really good out there as he gets more comfortable. And then, of course, can always play first. No-brainer pick at number two, and that was a guy I had at number two on my big board too because, I mean, what what he is potentially going to become – while already showing us at the double A level that he can rake. So it hedges some of the concern. And that's the big question that you and I are, are are really having to juggle in this whole thing, right? Is upside versus risk. And that's the, what you do in every draft, but in a redraft, it's even more pronounced because you have a more, more of a sample size here. And it's like, how much do you want to roll the dice? Because you have some guys that, okay, Garrett crochet, like you said, proven reliever, but I'd rather probably roll the dice on a guy that looks like a starter in high A. Uh, But at what point does that scale tip? And that's what makes this really, really fun. And even at pick three for me, um, I'm I'm already struggling with that. Yeah. Where are you going? So there's a few names that I could go between here. And I have my big board in front of me. And and I knew I was going to overthink this one the second I got to this pick. Yeah. 
There was a clear cut one, two, and it gets really cloudy. There's a clear cut one, two, and then it gets really, really stressful. I'm I'm going to go with Pete Crow Armstrong at number three. Oh, my God. <laughs> what? Really? I think I'm going to do it. <laughs> okay. What? Should I, should I'm I write, change? I'm it? writing it down. I'm writing it down. No, no. Hold on. Hold on. Max Meyer was the original pick. Miami Correct. at three. Correct. I'm I'm seriously considering it. I'm 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 up. Give me about ten more seconds here. Yeah, I'm gonna stick with it. Pete Crow Armstrong at number three. Uh, this guy absolutely could be one of the best center fielders in baseball. He's a friend of the podcast, so I'm biased. Um, no, but re- realistically, he's already a Gold Glove caliber center fielder. He is already mashing. Um, there's legitimate above average power here. He can run. The field of hit continues to get better. I'm going to take the shoe in center fielder that I think continues to get better offensively. He's extremely young and lost a year and already made up for, for the lost time. Yeah. Could I have gone Kyle Harrison here? Absolutely. But I'm going to go with the everyday center fielder, which in the prospect realm, generally speaking, if it's an everyday outfielder, everyday center fielder versus a pitcher, usually those, those everyday guys are going to be prioritized and I'm going to prioritize the, uh, the center fielder. Dude, I'm you're crazy, man. Like, I get it. I totally get it because he's got such a high floor. Um, he was coming in around like an 820 OPS this year, cross high A and a little bit of double, right? Tail end of the year was he was he in double? No, he spent 38 games in low, and then he spent 63 in high A. So 101 games. He checked in at an 896 OPS. So th- there's some impact here. And he had 10 triples. Like, that's really, really exciting stuff. Oh, so, look who's coming around now. I, I uh, could I could 16 see it, homers, 32 stolen bases, elite defense in center field. He's also got the makeup, left-handed bat. I don't I don't really know how how you can pass. I 20 years old, right? Yeah. I mean, I just think when you're looking at, at what this guy's floor is, it's already gold glove center fielder. And then what he's capable of offensively, I think it's really hard to pass on. Damn, man. Yeah. Shit. I get it. I get it. It's just crazy because like Torkelson's going to keep on falling, I think. And I don't want him to keep on falling. Like I'm really considering Torque here at four just because you know how good the bat is. Like it feels like 2022 is a fluke. But if he comes out and at the all-star break, he's hitting like 210 again. I'm I'm out. That that's the big problem with Torkelson. So I, I like the idea of Pete Crow Armstrong, who is dynamic, who is multifaceted as, you know, he, he's almost like the antithesis of Torkelson here because Torque is such an advanced bat, but he doesn't provide much else. PCA advanced bat at the lower levels pro- provides literally everything else. Um, I'm wrestling with Torkelson, but I'm not going to do it. Kyle Harrison at four for me. The original pick um, was Asa Lacey, who I guarantee you will not be going in this in this redraft. (laughs) Zero percent chance, like literally zero percent chance that that he goes in here. Kyle Harrison was originally the 85th overall pick third round, uh, 85th overall to San Francisco. And, And Kyle Harrison, another guy that has come into professional baseball and looked like a college arm that was actually a high school arm. And the reason I think I balk less at Harrison than I do PCA is because Kyle Harrison, while PCA spent the majority of this past season at high A and then previously at low A, Kyle Harrison did the high A to double A jump. And we know how big that jump is, high A to double. And double 
is like the proving ground for pitchers, right? Andy Painter became legitimate, became one of the best pitching prospects in baseball when he dominated double. Yep. Kyle Harrison dominated high A. He got up and was great in double A. So that's why I go with Kyle Harrison. I think this guy, I know Pipeline just put him out as the top left-handed pitcher pitching prospect in the game, right ahead of Ricky Tiedemann. It's 1A, 1B with him and Tiedemann. Um, I side with Harrison, and that's why I go with him at four. Yeah, you know, that's who I was between. It was between him and, and PCA. Um, I, I think with with Harrison, there's a little bit of, of you know, h- how much is he going to be able to command everything to, to reach that ceiling if he's more of that that three type? Would I rather have an everyday center fielder or would I rather have a number three starter? And, and that's kind of the question here. Uh, but obviously, Harrison has the stuff to become, you know, a frontline guy. I think he very well can become a frontline guy. And we saw him really solidify, I think, the floor and, and give us a little bit more optimism that he can become that frontline guy with what he did in double A, as you said. Uh, but ultimately, that was the really tough juggle for me was, do I want the everyday center fielder who could turn into, you know, some some version of Michael Harris or that top left-handed pitching prospect in the game uh, in Kyle Harrison. And, and for what it's worth on, on our top 100 list, I do have Kyle Harrison ranked ahead of him, uh, but we'll, we'll see, you know, in the update, I still think Harrison will be ahead of him. So that, that is worth noting there. Number five, this is another one of those interesting spots here because I, I know you're going to take Torkelson before me, by the way, and, and I'm not taking Torkelson here. Um, the previous pick at number five, was Austin Martin, who yeah. may or may not be selected in this thing. I think we'll have he'll be to, on the fringe. Yeah, he'll be on the fringe. And this is one where, again, we're kind of weighing ceiling versus floor. You know, what what can I guarantee myself? What can I hope for? And ultimately, I got to go read Detmers here. Um, you know, Reed Detmers showed us at the big league level what he could do. And, and this guy, this is another one of those like pitting him against himself situations. Reed Detmers basically skipped through the minor leagues, right? Barely through. Uh, what was it? 60 innings in the minors before debuting in 2021, struggled in 2021, comes back in 2022 and, and looked really solid, man. A 3770 RA in 129 innings. Uh, th- that slider is disgusting. The fastball shape is good, continues to get better and better with that fastball. I think it's the commands getting better. The shape's getting better. I think this guy's going to be a really solid middle of the rotation lefty for a long time. He's still 23 years old too. And he'll be 23 years old when the season starts, Jack. I mean, if he was a prospect like Kyle Harrison, probably putting up crazy numbers in double and triple a, maybe he he's getting hyped up a little bit more. I think it's easy to forget how good Reed Detmers is because he's got a year of service time, basically under his belt. Now this guy can really pitch and he's a guaranteed rotation piece for you from day one. Yeah, a hundred percent. I'm, you know, I'm a huge fan. Like you probably just took a guy that you wrote down for me that I was going to overdraft. I assume I'm one for one on you, by the way, with PCA. So (laughs) there we go. But um, yeah, I mean, Detmer's like, you know, how big of a fan I am of him. I just think, you know, Reed is like floor is a five ceiling is a three and a damn good three for Kyle Harrison. Floor is a four ceiling is a two or maybe a one if everything goes according to plan right that's the thing with the floor situation here is how true is that floor if he hasn't done it at the big league level yet like how positive are you that kyle harrison is a big league four i think the odds are very much in his favor given that you know he struck out 
nearly 14 per nine in double a. Uh, but at the same time, he walked more than four batters per nine. You know, he had a three eleven ERA. He did give up some home runs. Um, I, I think it's very likely that he is a four at worst case scenario with that, with that higher upside of a Reed Detmers. But at the end of the day, you got to call a spade a spade and his four is technically not even in a rotation. Um, if we haven't seen him do it at the big league level, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I, no, that, I, I, even though I, I am willing to say his near floor is, is back end of the rotation guy because of how good his fastball and, and how good, you know, Kyle Harrison stuff is. Yeah. A hundred percent. And like, that's the thing, man. So we we say, oh, it's foolproof that his floor is a four. Well, I thought it was foolproof that Spencer Torkelson's floor was a 700 OPS and he was yep. 100 points below that at the big Correct. league level. So that's Torkelson's floor. Um, and that's why I'm taking Torkelson at five uh, or six. Sorry. Um, I have to do it, man. Like, yes, a 600 OPS and 110 big league games, but 129 games at Arizona State. The guy had a 1200 OPS. 156 games in minor league baseball across a year and a quarter. This guy, 156 games. So we'll call it a full season sample. 889 OPS, 35 doubles, 35 pumps, 109 driven in. It's just so hard to argue with those numbers. And I understand that, hey, he he got his first chance at major league baseball and failed miserably. But He's just he was so good a hitter in college. He was so good a hitter in the college summer leagues that he was in Team USA collegiate national team. He was such a good hitter in minor league baseball. It's hard for me to imagine a world where Spencer Torkelson comes back and is a 650 OPS guy. No, I'm with you. I, I'm with you on that. I, I don't. I really struggled with where I was going to take him just because of the the positional aspect of it. Right? If if I'm Really weighing the positional side with the PCA pick, I got to stick to that with, with with some of the other selections. I believe in Torkelson to bat, though. You know, I really do. Um, and this was a Detroit Tigers organizational wide struggle that we have highlighted, right? And and I think it's going to change with with Harris at the helm and and a whole new hitting philosophy from top to bottom. Riley Green was as foolproof as it gets, as well, right? I mean, this is another guy that, yeah, a little bit more swing and miss in his game, but. I mean, I was willing to put a lot of money on Riley Green putting together a 700 OPS in his rookie season. He didn't either. Uh, a little bit of that is their home ballpark, which, by the way, they are, thank goodness, moving in the walls. And I always think about how many more home runs Miggy would have had there. But uh, you look at the data on Torkelson. He makes good swing decisions. His contact rates are solid. We know the exit velocities are great. Yeah. He's one of those that's really hard to pinpoint why he struggled. And I think that's exactly why I think he's going to be just fine. I think it was a little bit of pressing. I think it was a little bit of circumstance. I think it was a little bit of just being in a bad situation. And he seems like he's one tweak away from being uh, the guy that we always thought he could be. So I have no problem with that pick. There it was definitely before I would take him, but yeah. I already had him as one of the guys that you were going to take. Uh, there we go. So uh, perfect. I, I um, like, I like, it. I think he's going to bounce back in a big way this year. Yeah, original pick was Emerson Hancock at six. And Hancock, I do think, will go here. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Okay. <laughs> That's another name that I have for you. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, so now we have pick number seven. Seven, which was originally Nikki G. Originally Nikki G, which, man, um, I'm writing up the Pirates farm system right now. That We're going to go over that at some point this week, probably end of the week. Uh, and he's in their top ten, Nikki G, but obviously – not in the top 10 picks of this redraft here. 
And this is where I am going to go with a roll of the dice. I'm going, and I, it roll of the dice is probably a little much, but I'm going upside here. Bobby Miller. I have a chance to get one of the most electric arms, not only in the minor leagues, but in professional baseball period, right? We're talking about a guy who averaged 99.3 miles per hour on his fastball, which would have led major league baseball. It's a guy that threw well over a hundred pitches that were that were over a hundred miles an hour last year, ran it up to well over 101. Like this guy, this guy can really, really throw the ball hard, but also has really good stuff. This entire arsenal is really good. Guy that likes to play with the fastball at the top of the zone usually doesn't bode well in the PCL. I think he's going to get more comfortable with that uh, between double A and triple A. That's that's never you know the best recipe uh, when you're a high fastball guy. I think it's going to translate much better at the big league level. But this guy, we just talked about him a lot in the Dodgers episode. We just put out freak athlete, really, really electric arm. And, and you know, he's got front line upside. We talked about it on the Dodgers episode. So if we think this guy can be an ace, I can't pass on him at six. Or at seven. Yeah, no, I, I get it, man. Um, he's he's a star. And I'm thinking about Gavin Stone at eight. I'm not going to do Gavin Stone at eight. I'm going to go with somebody that uh, I actually had written down for you as a guy that, as a guy that you were going to take. Because I was thinking he would already be off the board by now. Um, I'm going with Evan Carter at, at eight. Damn. Evan, yeah, right? <laughs> like it. Evan Carter, the original pick was Robert Hassel. And I think Hassel, nine was Veen. So Hassel and Veen, I'm sure you have Veen written down for me because you know how big of a Zach Veen guy I am. But mm-hmm. I mean, those two were underwhelming this year when Carter just ticked up. And Evan Carter does literally everything well. Would you like a little bit more power from him? Yes, but he was a high school draft pick in 2020. So he's got room to fill out. He's got room to turn 12 homers into 20 homers. But what you love is he's a 25 double guy. He's a 10 triple guy. He was a 28 stolen bases guy. And he was a K rate under 20%, right? Or right around 20%. Yeah. No, the, the, he was, I think, below 20% on the year, if I'm not mistaken, 17% on, on the season. So he's almost, it, the way I view him is in a very similar light to that of Pete Core Armstrong. And I think that I'm more willing to, put money on a Carter and PCA as opposed to a Veen and Hassel. Veen, I think, is a higher ceiling than everybody that we're talking about. Here, oh, absolutely. But a much lower floor. So a few you know, contextual things that, to, to hit on all of what you said, because they're all valid points. And just to kind of accentuate all of those points, 64190. I think he's got some room in that frame to add some pop. Yes, absolutely. For the, the, the bat to ball skills. 85% zone contact. That's really good for a, a high school guy that climbed multiple levels and, and reached, you know, with double A last year. 102.4 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velo. Very solid. That's above average. And we just talked about how much more impact he can add here. And, and he already doesn't chase 18% chase rate, walked at a 14% clip. Much safer than PCA offensively, but PCA balances that out with the floor of being, you know, a multiple win player like his floor PCA's floor is Kevin Kiermeyer. Evan Carter's floor. I don't know exactly what it is, but it's something really solid because his bat to ball skills are good. He already hits the ball hard enough. And you mentioned all the other things. I love that pick. I'm pretty pissed. I didn't get a chance to, to get Evan Carter. Cool. So you steal him from me. And that was pick number eight. So that goes to to number nine for me now, where there's a few different directions I could go on this one. 
I definitely considering Gavin Stone, but if I'm going to revert back to my big board, which had me taking PCA and now I'm going to go probably a little bit earlier and probably a guy that you had down for me as well. I'm going to go Brandon Fott and Brandon Fott. I didn't have him down. No. Ooh, okay. Brandon Fott was previously selected 149th overall. That's in the fifth round. Yeah. Uh, and this was a pick where like, it was previously Veen. I think you could make the case that that Veen is is a fine pick here still too, but I think Brandon Fott is a dark horse for for rookie of the year. This coming if they bring him up soon enough, the the way he's able to get hitters out, and this was a guy that I I enjoy just kind of going back and looking at the video because <clears throat> ahead of this redraft, I I wanted to really make sure I was solidified in my Brandon Fott you know take here of of how early I wanna I wanna select him. But fastball average is 94 miles an hour and in zone with a 26% is ridiculous. It can run up to, you know, 19, 20 inches of induced vertical break. So a ton of ride there. Slider, ridiculous, 38% chase rate, 27% in zone with change up 42% chase rate, 25% in zone with. And then he mixes in a taste breaking curveball. So we're talking about a guy that has a ridiculous arsenal. He had a 5% walk rate last year. ERA inflated because he pounds the strike zone and was pitching in the PCL. I think that's a guy, again, also that's going to go to the big leagues and be even better. 6'4", 225 pounds, such a high floor. And I think he can turn into a, a number two, number three type of guy. Uh, but worst case scenario, this guy is going to be a back end of the rotation starter that just eats innings. But I think he's going to be a lot better than that. And I love his mechanics. I love Fott, man. I, I'm a huge fan. I'm kind of pissed that you took him because I was eyeing him in like the 15 range. Like I was oh, thinking yeah, he no shot. He was, he was falling to you there. Yeah, I get it, man. Uh, no, Fott is great. Shout out the Bellarmine Knights, which was D2 when Fott was there. They made the jump to D1. Sucks that they won the A-Sun and couldn't get into the NCAA men's basketball tournament a year yep. ago. Stupid team rule. That never dribbles, right? So such a stupid rule. Um yeah, like Fott is excellent. And I like that you're floating him for a rookie of the year candidacy because I think when they do make the decision to abandon the Madison Bumgarner experiment, Brandon Fott is going to get those starts. And they have enough young starters, right? Dre Jameson, Ryan Nelson, Walston. I will tell you that Fott is the best of the bunch. Oh, yeah. And Fott's got the chance. A gallon and Fott one, two with Merrill Kelly as that high floor three could be great and could be exactly what Arizona needs as they get into, you know, their, their exciting and winning window. Absolutely. And the last thing I'll say is, you know, we, we have a, just the pitch grades, 55 on the fastball, 60 on the slider, 55 on the changeup, and then, you know, a 45 on the curveball with, with 60 command, which yeah. <laughs> you put all that together, you got a really solid number two type. If it all translates at the big league level. Yeah, 100%. Uh, 10, the original pick was Reed Detmers. Detmers already went. He went fifth to you. I will go with Gavin Stone here. And Stone was originally a fifth-round pick. Stone was 159th overall. Like, at the end of the fifth round. Like, near Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant thing. (laughs) By the way, we can stop calling Brock Purdy Mr. Irrelevant. Yeah, Yeah, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. But Gavin Stone this year, 25 starts. A one four eight ERA in one hundred and twenty one two thirds innings in like situations where it's not fun to throw. Six games in Great Lakes, he was just so stupidly good. A one four four ERA. That's four earned runs in twenty five innings. All right, get the bump to Tulsa. Really hard to pitch there. 
Don't tell Gavin Stone that. 13 starts, one appearance out of the pen, a 1-6 ERA. Okay, go to Oklahoma City. Not only are you at altitude, but you are at the highest level of minor league baseball. 23 and a third innings, three earned runs. I mean, you can't get better than this guy. 12 and a half strikeouts per nine, three walks per nine. And again, a 1-4-8 ERA and under seven hits per nine. Homers, we talked about this with Stone when we did the Dodgers top 10. He faced 496 batters. He allowed three home runs. Three, three. I thought it was two. Okay, three. Yeah, that's insane. Three home runs. It's insane. So, yeah, I'm going to go with Stone because this guy should get his first big league taste in a, in a really good rotation in a team that wants to win the World Series. I, I agree, man. And the thing with Stone is what he was able to do already, you know, what we already saw from him in terms of like Bobby Miller, I'm still kind of hoping for that upside, right? Like he's done good things. And I think he's, he's showed us that he can get outs, right? But Stone's already showed us that at worst, he's going to be able to to get outs in the back of the rotation of, of a big league team, you know? And and I, I think there's more upside there. Uh, and I think he could be a really solid starter. But I think we've already seen enough to where when we talked about that Dodger system, who's getting called up first? We would both bet Gavin Stone. And I think that kind of says a little bit about how polished he is. So to get him there uh, is is absolutely great. I, I, that was if he was falling to me, I would have taken him with the next pick. So uh, to gotcha. add some context to that. All right. So that sends us to pick number 11, 11. Yep. which was previously Garrett Crochet. Not going to be Garrett Crochet, though. You know, you, you can't fault the pick. You're not staying with the pick, but you're able to plug a guy straight into. No, I'm not sticking with the pick. You're able to plug that guy straight into your bullpen. And he was pretty good before, you know, going down with Tommy John. This is a this is a good player that, you know, we'll see if somebody takes him before the end of this first round. But this is where you have a lot of players for me that are kind of in the same vicinity. And I think I might surprise you with this one because I'm just going to take to me the best athlete on the board and a guy that is, is already shown it at the double a level as a youngster for all the same reasons that you know, we love Jordan Walker, not quite with the ceiling, yeah. but Mason win. Um, yeah. I'm going to take the tooled out freak. <laughs> I mean, this is a dude that can throw a triple digits from shortstop. He's a plus plus runner and really swung it last year, which is something that I don't think anybody was expecting. And, and I got to see him on the backfields ahead of the season, saw the adjustments he made with his swing and going into the year, I was like, oh my gosh, this guy's going to break out. And if you look at the early episodes of the call up, that was something I came back. I literally drove straight home from the backfields, recorded an episode immediately and said, Mason Wynn's going to go crazy. And sure enough, he, he went pretty crazy. The question was always going to be how much power is he going to hit for? And I think that's still a valid question, but the dude launched 12 home runs between high A and double A and saw the power tick up in double a as well strikeout rate right around 20 percent. walked at a 10 percent clip uh, maybe slightly above that i mean this was a really good year for him and with the speed combination 43 stolen bases you know potential for 15 to 20 home run power and just the freak athleticism that could turn him into a, an elite shortstop this guy is really special man and and at 20 years old i I'm really excited to see what he's going to do this coming season between maybe even starting in triple a and could force his way to the big league conversation as well. You you said it best, just a tooled out freak. And, and that's what I think he is, man. Like I, when is, I mean, we saw him go a hundred miles an hour across the diamond of the futures game. Like yeah, the fact that he hit for as high an average as he did 
should curb everything you think, right? Because if he was getting blown up at double A, that's that's one thing. I know he got a brief cameo in 2021 at high A and he looked overmatched at points in high A. In double, if he looked overmatched, he wouldn't have gone this high. But the fact that he was able to maintain and be good at the double A level says everything you got to know about Mason Wynn. He, he will be ready to meet the moment. And with those tools, if you have the ability to meet the moment, you're absolutely worth it. I totally agree. Only thing missing for him is is breaking ball recognition. Sliders gave him a little bit of trouble, trouble but 85% zone contact. Uh, the, the floor is higher than I think people thought it was going to be with him. And we know what he can turn into ceiling-wise. I'm going to do it. I'm going to stay with the pick. The original yes, pick overall we love, was... We love staying with the pick. Yeah, the go. original pick. The original pick was Austin Hendrick at 12 <laughs> with Cincinnati. So I'm going with Austin Hendrick. Let's go. Um, the original pick was Austin Hendrick at 12. I'm not picking Austin Hendrick. You're not picking Austin Hendrick. You don't know that. <laughs> but I am going to do it. I'm going to do what you're expecting me to right yes. here. That's what I was. Yeah. yeah, that's what I thought you were talking about when you said do it. Um, yeah, I'm going to do it. 55 for 64 in the stolen base department this year between high A and double A. You can't make that up. Yes, he struggled with some swing and miss, but he had an OPS right around 900 in the fall league. Struck out eight times. He walked 15 times in 99 plate appearances. Zach Veen has the ability to be a superstar and a top 10 player in baseball. He did struggle a lot. He struck out a lot. He had an OPS right around 720 this year. And Hartford was too high a level for him, I think. But if this guy gets comfortable... At the double A level, he could be a rocket ship. Um, you know how high I am on him, and uh, I I got to put my money where my mouth is at twelve. Yeah, I mean, look, this is this is a, a good spot to be able to get somebody that could potentially hit forty home runs. You know, especially with with the Colorado Rockies shows. Got to remember to. I keep forgetting. I always forget to mention what team the prospect is with. Zach yeah. Bean, Colorado Rockies, 6'4", with the speed that you mentioned, still has some more room to add physicality. And by the way, he just turned 21, right? Like, this guy's really young. It, it was it was a big test in Hartford, as you mentioned, and and I think it was an opportunity for him to to kind of see what what's missing and, and see where he needs to improve. The, the whiff is is definitely there. I don't think it was egregious given, you know, what, what he – you would think he struggled like last year. Like I almost feel like you go back and it was like, Oh, it wasn't as bad as I thought, but it definitely wasn't good for a guy that was everyone's favorite. You know, this guy could go nuclear prospect and, and just didn't quite go nuclear. Um, but in terms of the whiff, it wasn't as bad. You see 177, 262, 234. And you're like, Oh no, like this guy's doomed. But I think it was really just him being overmatched a little bit and, and really just, learning what it takes to to hit against more advanced pitching as a 20 year old. So I think he's going to be much better this second time around at the double a level, especially because the whiffs weren't too egregious. So uh, this guy's going to be really good. I still believe it. Uh, Just obviously the risk is what sends him down a little bit in this redraft. Yeah. So that sends us to pick number 13, which was previously Patrick Bailey. San Francisco Giants switch hitting catcher who just has not quite been able to put it together, you know, I, and, and Bailey's probably not a guy that's going to get taken here. Um, just really struggled offensively, doesn't excel enough defensively uh, to, to really merit consideration here. So I'm between a couple guys. Um, 
you've got Robert Hassel the third, right? Who I think is right there with Veen uh, in terms of young, exciting outfield prospect who can play in center and doesn't quite have as much of the the insane upside, but still has a lot of upside. And then somebody that I just continue to get more excited about in Tyler Soderstrom, who I think the power and the bat is close to that of a Tristan Casas if you really do the dive. And that's been a wow. fun dive that I've been doing lately. I really think he, he he is not that far off from encroaching on that territory, but the approach needs to, to be ironed out a little bit. I'm going to go with Robert Hassel, though, because, you know, I, I don't want to similar to the Zach Veen situation. I don't want to put too much stock into a young high school hitter struggling in double a right after a trade right so like that that's the thing with hassles like i don't want to put too much stock into oh yeah in 27 games this guy hit 222 311 296 after he was part of one of the biggest trades in major league baseball history and has to adjust to you know a, a much more challenging level you've seen a lot of hassle back from your days in fort wayne uh, you talk about how underrated his athleticism is that's something that you know was really eye opening to me when you, when you tip me off on that doing the dive on the video, seeing how well this guy moves. Those 50 slash 55 run grades are closer to 55 slash 60. We started to see him more effective on on the base paths. We've had him on the podcast. We know what kind of guy he is makeup wise. He really knows the game. And I think that's going to help him continue to, to head towards that 55 hit tool that we put on him close to 60 hit tool. And there's room for, for above average power. So, you know, I, I really think this guy's going to bounce back in a big way. And and I almost feel more confident that his hit tool is going to translate, you know, and bounce back a little bit easier than Veen. Obviously, Veen's power is is nuclear uh, ability, but you know, I think Hassel is one of my favorite bounce back guys for this year. And if he bounces back, he's right back into the conversation as one of the better young outfield prospects in the game. Yeah, I you know how big of a fan I am of Hassel. And one of the things that we were talking about was his ability to manipulate his swing. And we talked with him about that, right? Like his ability to backspin a ball and just let it roll and. I mean, there were a couple of pitches that he had no business getting bad on ball with. And and he almost like parallel to the ground. He just took the bat like about shin high and golfs it out. Like his ability to spin a ball and meet a ball wherever is really impressive. And you speak to that hit tool. I have a feeling this guy's not going to strike out much when he is in his final form at the major league level, yeah. because he's always going to be that. I want to hit 300, that kind of guy. And yep. I don't want to strike out. I feel bad when I strike out. He's always going to be that kind of guy. Swing malleability. Like he yeah. is the epitome of it where he can yeah, adjust that barrel and and be able to get to ridiculously tough pitches. Like you said, that always translates. His lower half has been inconsistent. He acknowledged that on the podcast. I asked him about that. And he's been a guy that, that tends to drift a little bit. So many young hitters do. That was what I was what I saw in Mason Wynn when when I saw him on the backfield getting in that backside and staying there with his twitchiness. I was like, oh my gosh. If Hassel comes out in spring training in that backside and staying there better with more control of his lower half, with his twitchiness and his ability to to control the barrel, I'm gonna be all in. So that's a guy that definitely, you know, is is one tweak away from sending him his way probably back into the top. 10 consideration of this redraft if we do it, which I'm sure we'll do it again at some point during the year. Cause it's, it's so uh, you know, it, it's, it really could change as, as we continue to go. It's so fluid. This is a content machine, man. 
we just got to keep on doing it. Next episode, we're gonna we're gonna assess our 2020 MLB redraft redraft. Yeah. Um, all right, 14. The original pick was Justin Foscue, which is actually a pretty good pick yeah, at not this bad point. At all. Yeah, Foscue to Texas. Um, Foscue is a guy that has had success at the double A level. Um, he should get his, you know, feet really wet in triple A this year. And maybe depending on, you know, who goes down on the, uh, who goes down on the big league side, like maybe Foscue gets his first chance this year. If not, he's probably a 2024 guy. I also think he's a pretty good trade ship for them because they're, they're pretty filled out Mm -hmm. around where he is. Um, I'm not going to go with Foscue here. (sighs) I'm going to do something that you're going to think is like, Really weird, I think. Yeah, that's wouldn't be the first time. I'm gonna go Cade Cavalli at 14. <laughs> that is a little weird, but honestly, that that was one that that I'll let you go as before I forget. That was one that I was sitting staring at my computer last night, like, where the hell do I take this dude? Yeah, it's hard he because he's already 24, and we know he's got the DL Hall frustration levels of command. It's it's oh my god you're so good if you just throw some effing strikes for the love of god throw effing strikes and, and he healthy. doesn't do it and stay healthy but Cavalli 123 innings in 21 in the minor leagues a 3.36 ERA 20 starts in AAA a 3.71 ERA and this is a guy that you know across his minor league experience is averaging 11 and a half k's per nine so we know how good he is right we know that the fastball is 100 we know that it's a bowling ball of a fastball but i don't know man like his his major league debut he wasn't ready for his major league debut they gave it to him anyways and he got blown up four and a third six hits seven runs two walks he's really hard to peg but i think a guy that throws this hard with that good of stuff, can't drop any farther than like the lottery here's, one through 15. the roll of the dice that we're talking about, right? Like yeah. this is where you got to roll the dice at, at this late. And it, it boils down to this, dude, because when when you look at our top 100 rankings, Cavalli's at 89 because of the injury risk and 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 some of the struggles late, late in the year with his command. But you will not see a prospect, pitching prospect, outside of our top 40, maybe 30, with better pitch grades than Cade Cavalli. I have a 60 on his fastball with 70 future. I have a 60 on his curveball with 70 future. I had a 50 on his slider with 55 future and a 50 on his changeup with 55 future and a 35 on his command. So, yeah. I mean, the, the stuff, you go to the 2021 data specifically, in zone with above 30% on all of his secondaries. That's it's insane. insane. Swinging yeah. strike rate across his whole arsenal of 16% insane 20% on all of his secondaries. And we already know how good the fastball is when it can run up to triple digits. He is disgusting and you're not going to get a higher upside arm this late than Kate Cavalli. So I'm, I'm with you on that one. I just didn't know where the hell to take him. Yeah. I I took him at 14. So you didn't have to think about it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for that. Yeah. Now at 15, I, I think I, I I gotta go with with the guy that I was floating in. And this is this is kind of one of my statement picks as as a clue into what you can expect in in the 2023 update that'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks for just baseball stop 100 list. So, you know, this is a little bit of a glimpse into you know who's gonna really climb. <clears throat> excuse me. And I, I think you, you gotta look at somebody like Tyler Soderstrom, because you're going to, I think a lot of people are going to be really excited about how much he is climbing, uh, especially 
owners of him in Dynasty or A's fans or whatever it may be. This is a guy that I, I think is going to make one of the biggest leaps in our top 100 list because I really was was impressed with the swing and how far it's come. And, and the previous pick was Mick Abel, who actually gets serious consideration for stick with the pick here. Uh, right-handed pitcher for the Phillies, who is is going to be really good. I mean, he has ridiculous stuff. Another guy, Command, needs to come along a little bit, but really, really talented pitcher with with big frame that I think is going to keep getting better. Uh, high school guy as well. But ultimately, you know, this is where I'm going to go with, with the first baseman. And I know he's technically still listed as a catcher, maybe with some adjustments to, you know, the way that the catching position is is viewed. Maybe he can be a little bit of that auxiliary guy and still catch when you need him to. Um, but, you know, I think they're kind of covered there with Shea Langliers. But this is a dude that the power is off the charts. His swing is so advanced. I, it, it's going to play. Uh, his, his, his swing decisions continue to get better. But I really think this guy could be a 30 to 35 home run dude that gets on base at a pretty high clip. And um, I'm really impressed with how far he has come and, and how good he looks right now and has looked at the upper levels last year. He's so young. He He's like a brand new 21 years old, and he already has nine games in AAA under his belt. And you mentioned how good he looked at the higher levels. Lansing, he was just hitting the crap out of the ball. 20 bombs in 89 games. So he had an 837 OPS there. In Midland, in 36 games, he had a lower OPS, but he was a 280 hitter in Midland. Yep. So it was just the walks. Ability, he just what? wasn't walking. He just wasn't walking. Yeah. That was it. He just wasn't walking. And like, still, even though he wasn't really walking 10 walks in 147 plate appearances, because of how good he hit, he was still like a 327 OBP, which is fine. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, like, I think Soderstrom is really good. And I think right now, I think Casas Light is a really good comp for him because Casas is a pure hitter that happens to have a lot of power. Yeah. I think that's Soderstrom too. 85% zone contact. He launched 29 home runs. He drove in over 100 runs. I think he led all of minor league baseball or, or was um, maybe behind Mervis, but among the top in minor league baseball and runs driven in, um, crushes fastballs, 31% chase rates the one issue, right? And I think it's because he sees the ball so well and because he hits everything so well. He hits, he really crushes fastballs, crushes breaking balls. I think if he can tone down the approach a little bit in terms of just cutting down that chase rate, if he walks at a decent clip, which I think he'll start to because people aren't going to want to pitch to him, it's going to be an OBP machine. And that's kind of the one thing that's missing between you know him being more like Casas, but 105.6 mile per hour, 90th percentile exit velo absolutely plays. And this is going to be one of the guys that I think turns into a consensus top 30 prospect with how he's going to come out in AAA next year and, and really mash in a good environment to mash, but also just with the way he's able to hit. Oakland, with how crappy a situation they've put their fan base in, does have some fun stuff going on with yep. Shea Langoliers getting to be an everyday catcher and, and with Estario Ruiz getting everyday reps, we think. And with Soderstrom like knocking on the door. I love Jordan Diaz. I think Jordan Diaz can be really good. Um, I mean, they've they've got some exciting stuff coming. Absolutely. And and I think they're 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 heading they're heading in the right direction overall in terms of the system and the sustainable, you know, depth and talent. It just where I differ is whether they really needed to to tear the whole thing down uh given where they were at as as a franchise and uh but you know that's that's an entirely different conversation that we'll have when we highlight that system overall but that'll do it for the the first half here of the drafts but i do want to highlight some of the 
eBay prices of some of these guys based on where we're redrafting them. Because of the 15 that we just selected, Jack, who do you think is is the most expensive? Or I, I shouldn't say that because you know it's going to be Jordan Walker. Yeah, who would Walker. be the guy that you think you would be able to buy low on as a card? Or, or who do you think would be your best investment considering what you think the potential entry price would be and what you think the upside could be? Evan Carter, and it's not close. Yep. Thank you for that. Because Evan Carter is a name I gave out on our, our eBay segment on our TikTok that we do, those videos every week. And I think you can see the YouTube shorts uh, on our Just Baseball uh, YouTube account as well. But what's crazy is that his cards aren't going for that much. His Bowman Chrome Auto on eBay right now, I'm looking at it like less than $100. Wow. Which, you know, you're going to look at some of these. Basically, most top 100 guys are are going to be in that you know higher $100, $120 range. And, and Carter's going up. But you can find some here and there for for less than $100, uh, $80, $90. That's a steal for a guy that look how early we just took him in the redraft. Like this is a dude that is one of my favorite purchases on eBay right now. And, and I'm going to continue to to try to pick them up here and there. Uh, that's That's got to be one of my favorite. I agree with you 100%. Who would you put second? Probably Soderstrom. Um, I, I feel like Mason Wynn has some of that pedigree and Veen and Hassel are both guys that people have been hunting for a while. Um, Soderstrom was, you know, near the end of the first round. I think he was 24th or 25th. He was actually 26th overall by Oakland in 2020. So I feel like Soderstrom might be the guy to make sense here. I, I totally agree. That's another guy that's selling for less than $100 on eBay with his Bowman Chrome Auto. I got one more question for you. Uh, if you were to pull, because I just bought a 2020 Bowman draft box on, yeah. on eBay, which was a pretty penny, but um, yeah. I used some Christmas money to, to pick that up. And nice. I'm really excited to do that. And you can get some boxes for good prices on eBay as well. Uh, if you were to pull a Jordan Walker, which I'm trying to find what the most recent eBay sale is of a Jordan Walker, uh, like ungraded, but I can only find a nine. Let's just assume that it would grade as a nine because you know it's a good chance that if you pull it, it's going to grade for a nine, as a nine. A nine just sold for seven hundred and four dollars, right? But you know if Jordan Walker continues to blossom at the big league level into the guy that we just said he could possibly be, obviously it's going to go up. But seven hundred four dollars is what it just sold for most recently uh, two days ago. Is Jordan Walker's PSA nine Bowman Chrome Auto? It's a nice chunk of change. Would you hold or sell? Hold. I would hold. Isn't that I insane because I. It's agree. insane. There's very like, few guys in that ballpark that I'm holding, and yeah. I agree. I think I'm holding Jordan Walker at, at seven. I mean, dude, we we if we were having this conversation on January seventeenth, twenty twenty two, and you told me that Julio Rodriguez sold for seven forty, would you sell Julio? I'd say I'd probably sell him. I'd consider it. I'd consider, it, and we would have learned our lesson. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm like, I can't do that with Walker because I think there's a chance that Walker gets up to the big leagues and just starts mashing right away and doing a lot of other really exciting things too. Like it's going to be tape measure shots. It's going to be the athleticism. It's going to be, he's going to make highlight real plays as he gets more comfortable out there. And, and I think he, he's, he's just a really fun player to watch. Uh, I love the way he carries himself. He, he's going to be a fan favorite. Um, so I, I'm I'm all in on that. I, I was curious where you'd where you'd be on that, but I'm I'm with you. Jordan Walker is a hold there at seven hundred dollars. I don't think there's very many holds because uh you and I always talk about kind of take take the money. There's so much risk in this. 
Yeah, that's the one guy I'm rolling the dice with Jordan Walker at seven hundred dollars on eBay right now. Um, would you buy it if you came if you stumbled across a thousand dollars, you had to spend it on cards? Would you buy a Jordan Walker at seven hundred dollars? No, that's my thing. Like, I would rather spread up my yep. buy in. So I would but get if like you have, if you pull it, you're holding it. Uh, if I pull it, I'm holding it. But I'm not I'm not buying in on Walker at seven hundred like I'm buying in on. Evan Carter. I'm buying two Evan Carter cards for 200 total. And then I'm buying two Soderstrom for 200 total. And then I'm buying like maybe a couple pitcher cards, right? Like I would think about buying a Fott. I would think about buying a Gavin Stone, things like that. So I hear you. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. So that'll do it for the first half of this draft here. Uh, you can also watch the whole thing on our YouTube, which is the call up as well. But we'll also be doing the second half of this draft in the next episode picks 16 to 30. Still have a lot of really exciting players on the board. Just to name a few, you got Mick Abel, Drew Romo, Jordan Westberg, Alec Burleson, Casey Schmidt, Owen Casey, Dax Fulton, Joey Weimer, uh, just to name a few, plenty others as well. So Stay tuned. See where all those guys come off the board in the next episode. And we'll talk to you then. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.